Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Whee! How did you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us. Obviously. <laughs> Join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash Bones and Bobbins. Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group. Yes. Where exclusive fun happens. And no drama. Exclusive fun. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Our insomnia ramblings. Don't mind me. I'm just putting on a sweatshirt and... (laughs) I'm stalling for time. (laughs) Multiple sweatshirts. There's a sweatshirt catastrophe. Oh, God. All right. Nice. Sweatshirt catastrophe largely averted. Yay. Uh, So, yes. uh, Give us the Anyway. (laughs) In a dusty old shop. On a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn, but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns, we're always discreet. Where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Uh, hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And this is Bones and Bobbins, Season 3, Episode 14, There's No Place Like Utopia. Ah, and how. (laughs) I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast, and I go by she and her. And I'm Natalie from Uberdork Designs, an official true crime creative, and my pronouns are she and her. It's true. It's true. So how you doing? Hey, hi. Oh, hi. (laughs) Uh, I am having... Uh, what those on, er, in neurodivergent areas call, um, autistic burnout. So, I am literally missing words, like, as in, uh, the neurons are not doing the things. So, some things just don't exist. So, if I cease to make sense, which I might... Um, I'm not having a stroke or anything. I am just... It's the tism. It's the tism. <laughs> so much the tism. The tism. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, how are you? I am... I'm okay. I'm okay. Still plugging through with the endless chaos that is life. Uh, my youngest has the COVID. Ugh. Because there just has to be something all of the time. <laughs> All of um, it. You know, because there's, what, six planets in retrograde, and it's me. I did yeah. get the most hilarious phone call from my eldest yesterday. 
Oh. They were so proud. Uh, they were cleaning their dorm room and they went down and checked out a vacuum cleaner from the front desk. And uh, she's like, I vacuumed everything. And then I'm like, oh, it's a little dusty under my bed. I should vacuum under there. And the vacuum didn't fit underneath there. So I used the hose attachment and I laid down and I was vacuuming. She's like, and I don't know what switch I hit. Long story short, <laughs> ended up getting her ponytail sucked into the vacuum <laughs> cleaner. <laughs> Ponytail is fine, hair is fine, head is fine, ego a little bruised. And I just laugh hysterically because that is something that would 100% happen to me. So they were like, uh, I don't think I'm going to borrow the vacuum anymore. And I'm like, or maybe just don't lay down and use the hose attachment. <laughs> I don't think that's... Wear a hat. Right? I think there's a way we can probably avoid that from happening. So uh, Mercury, that's Mercury's amazing. got jokes. Um that reminds me of the first time I ever did my laundry in my dorm. Mm-hmm. And I had, for reasons unclear, and by unclear I mean for reasons that are my mother, <laughs> a gigantic pink velvet blanket. Ooh. Oh, now, no. I didn't like any of those things <laughs> at the time. But it was like this bubblegum pink mm. blanket. And I was washing, I guess it must have been sheets or something, and open um, the dryer, Mm -hmm. and the only thing I could see was this puff of bubblegum pink blanket Mm -hmm. that had perfectly encased everything else (laughs) and was just, like, sitting in there like a perfectly expanded Bubble. like ball of bread dough. <laughs> and nothing else was visible. It was just this perfect pink blob. Nice. They're super uh, yeah. excited because the laundry there is free and I was like Ooh. that's fancy. I'm like we had to get these tickets but sometimes it was free for us because if you put scotch tape at the end of the ticket... And then pushed it in, and as soon as it clicked, you yanked out. <laughs> you had to keep reusing the ticket. And they were like, you stole laundry? And I'm like, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> uh-huh. Because, yeah, I mean, we started with quarters, and then the machines got the card readers. Mm-hmm. But half of the card readers didn't work because it was the year 2000 mm. or whatever. And that just it was not the most reliable um oh god yeah so yeah it's the power also got knocked out the other day for the entire time oh, ours too uh they text at like six o'clock in the morning apparently when the entire town was knocked out obviously all of campus was and Oops. they learned the hard way that when the power's out like the alarms go off so they they panicked and was not happy and then had to go to classes anyway uh but so i feel a little bad because clearly mercury's been affecting (laughs) affecting eldest uh but at the same time they are friggin thriving they started a craft circle 
I of forgot course. to tell you, uh, Wednesday nights they have a they start an entire craft circle where they um there's a bunch of people that meet in at the same spot and everybody brings a craft project and just works on it and chills. So <laughs> I feel so proud. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. So, mostly all of my updates are, you know, offspring related. I'm just plugging along like, all right, I can do this. <laughs> I uh, set up my altar. It's so amazing. Finally. It's so Yeah. Amazing. I sent, uh, listeners will not have seen it, but I texted Natalie a photo of it last night. And today, as it is the autumnal equinox yes um aka maybon i will be using the altar for the first time and i'm really excited about it yes yes so it's gonna be good i'm excited for you yep the rest of my workspace continues to be chaos because my best friend helped unpack, but there is still no place to put things away. <laughs> so I have a lot of piles of categories. I call that creative piling, and I do that frequently. Like, I mean, I do too, but it's usually like an ADHD thing. <laughs> when people or, an OCD thing, depending on what kind of pile. My offspring will be like, where's the such and such? I'm like, third pile over, halfway down, right above the... <laughs> like, I know exactly. Same. Exactly Same. where it's at. It, if you look at it, you probably won't know. But my brain has that shit card cataloged, and I know where everything is. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. Our local Facebook group. Um, it, if anybody local happens to listen to this... I can only think of one person who might, but um, I made the mistake, kind of, of just asking our local Facebook group if anyone had any ballpark ideas of how many trick-or-treaters I should prepare for. That's a totally valid question. And it is because, like... Right. That differs pretty greatly in different areas. And also, I've lived in New York City for 20 years where trick-or-treating doesn't work that way. Right. So I, as an adult woman, have not done any Hmm. of this since I was in college dressed up going to parties. Yeah. Mm, there's yeah so i don't even know what the etiquette is yeah and i mean obviously i i am currently knees deep in research on um fun allergy friendly items yes but also candy like I have heard anywhere from like 20 to 300. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a big swing. Because I happen to live exactly in the part of town where the streets that are directly um, perpendicular to my street, but like 
within my neighborhood mm-hmm. are the main trick-or-treating streets uh, that yeah. are apparently known to go all out oh yeah that's the thing is kids it doesn't matter where you live if you know uh which houses give up full-size bars which ones give up single like you I as mean, a kid you can't you, you were like i that's where i will go because that's where the fun thing is like, you know, y'all pile in a car and your parents drop you off and pick you up a couple hours later full of, you know, sexual stuff. Yeah, well, and I mean, I don't know if that's how it works anymore. Yeah. But I'm sitting here like, I... And because I am, for all intents and purposes at this moment, from New York City, mm-hmm. I am trying real hard not to give my actual location. Right. Except I live in a state with fewer people in it than my previous neighborhood. So. Yeah. And so it was one of those things where people were like, well, depending on where you are, because I gave like, I gave my street name, Mm -hmm. but the street name kind of turns into about 30 different things and winds its way through town. Ah, yeah. And so I was like, you know, the big historic houses. Mm-hmm. Crickets. Wow. I was like, okay, the big historic houses that have the historic house signs on them. And then everybody knew exactly where I was. <laughs> and, but some people gave me their actual addresses. Sheesh. You're In like- that... Because, well, it's not like anybody who sees me and who knows the house that I live in, like, there's one of them. Right. That looks like my house. And I live in it. Right. And it is on a main road. Yeah. So anybody who has seen me, like, there was one woman who was... um, like, I have just sort of seen her around on the Facebook group. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I know this person, although she may or may not have been the person I hired to clean my house when we moved in. I can't <laughs> <remember>. <laughs> um, which all of a sudden makes a lot more sense. But she was just like, if I remember correctly, you lived in it. And I was like, who the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> How do you know that? <laughs> but then also, like, everybody would know yeah. where I live. And so it's one of those weird, like, tiptoeing. I am. I'm a police officer's kid. Yeah. I am used to being very safe. Right. And I anybody am could also be from in a those small groups. town. Right. Where everybody knew everybody, but I've lived in New York City for 20 years. Right. So it is one of those weird things. Like, you can say in New York that you live, like, on Henry Street between Orange and Cranberry, which is where I lived, and, like, 300 people will also live there. Right. Um, but, yeah, so it's very weird, and I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I, I still don't know recommend the little trick-or-treat packs of play-doh Ooh, that's fun um we've done those because they're not i mean yeah it's not food but it's still fun 
uh, and it's not toxic. Well, I think I'm going to do both then. So anyway, that's, that's excellent. What I'm, for. Um, I'm also really strongly thinking about full size candy bars. You would be that house. I would. I mean, it's such a dramatic house. Yes. Yes, it is. And I do have a costume. Oh, yes. I love Which it. I haven't tried on yet, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, wow. Um, as we can see, my uh, ADD medication is not working <laughs> at the moment. But it's um, Halloween, which is always very appropriate for us to talk about, so hey. I know. Oh, actually, uh, quick note. If you're wondering yes. where episode 13 went, join the Patreon. They got the lucky 13. It's true. Because I lost power. <laughs> yes, but we talk about the teddy girls and top <laughs> topless duels. <laughs> it, it's true. And those are both absolutely not jokes. And yep. um, they are our hot historical girlfriends. So you Indeed. It might be worth joining the Patreon. Although now that we are 22 minutes in and I am still rambling, perhaps <laughs> we should uh, thank our Patreon folks. That was kind of my, yeah. Amazing. That was kind of my goal to work that in there. Listen, man, I just did not catch up. That's fine. Uh, I have now, though. So, yeah. Hey, thank you, all of our fantastic Curiosity Shop members over on the Patreon. Uh, Well, we don't have anybody today, but normally at this point in the podcast, we would give a totally... Like normal and not at all creepy. Welcome to our newest members. So if you want a shout out of your own, uh, join us. Yep. And you can share your address in the Facebook group, but you know. Yeah. You Make sure to. it's on the Patreon, though, because we send out things. Yes. At times. And by times. Wait, that came out so wrong. But also, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to stand by it. It's fine. <laughs> But also true. Yes. You're the best. Oh, you are the best. And we would totally, totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. A hundred percent. And not only do you get really great secret surprises and episodes that just drop like that, but you get a huge backlog of Patreon-only episodes. Like, if you think starting at the beginning here uh, and going through is uh, is hours worth of enjoyment, oh, just you wait. It's true. And we don't usually babble for half an hour. First. No, no, it's just one of those days. Also, um, it makes a great gift, and holiday seasons are coming up around the corner. So you can also gift the joy of the Patreon. It's true. I also just realized that editing exists. Yeah. So maybe you won't be here in half an hour. <laughs> um, anyway. Oh, you will, because it's fun. You never know. Oh, <laughs> perhaps we're going to get emails being like, oh my God, shut <laughs> up and get on with Zip it the lippies, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. All right. So I guess we could do that. We could. Yeah. So today... 
I'm going to take us on a journey from Italy to Spring Green, Wisconsin, with our final destination being the quest for a utopian town in Arizona. Hmm. That is not where I would probably elect to put a utopian town. Right? Right. Probably not. So our story begins not in Sicily, but in Turin. <laughs> Picture it. <laughs> Picture it. Turin, Italy. On the summer solstice of June 21st, 1919, with the birth of Paolo Soleri. Okay. Now, not much is written about his early life, which, you know, 1919. Uh, but Soleri received a doctorate in architecture from the Turin Polytechnic in 1946. And after graduating, he would visit the United States where he spent 18 months studying with Frank Lloyd Wright, both at Taliesin West in Arizona and at Taliesin itself in Spring Green, Wisconsin. Those... 18 months clearly had a very profound effect on Paolo and would shape much of his future legacy. Uh, during the time, he also began to receive some international recognition for a bridge design that was displayed at MoMA. Cool. Uh, in 1950, he and his wife would return to Italy briefly, where Paolo was commissioned to build a large ceramics factory, the Ceramic Artistique Soliman. In Vietri on the Almafi coast. He would go on to adapt the ceramics industry processes that he learned there to create award-winning designs. And also uh, the production of ceramic and bronze windmills. Uh, but it's his silt cast architectural structures that are pretty much the most profound of his works. Okay. The sales of... Windmills? Not windmills. Wind bells. That's my bad. Oh. Yeah. Wind but bells. also fine. <laughs> Got it. With the sales of those wind bells themselves, actually, uh, at the time, and they continue to be, like, an important funding source for the construction of his theoretical work in the form of a utopian. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll get to that in a little bit. But in 1956, him, his wife, and his two eldest daughters would settle down in Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, Wafy Pooh popped out another daughter. Uh in 1969, he uh, coined the phrase that would ab absolutely be the cornerstone of his legacy, arcology. It's basically a mashup of the words architecture and ecology. Oh. So much like, much like uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, he believed that a completed arcology would provide space for a variety of residential, commercial, and agricultural facilities while minimizing the individual human environmental impact. So that that impact on the environment was a huge focus and where he and Frank were kindred spirits. Now, mm -hmm. an arcology is different than just a large building. Um, it's designed to lessen the impact of human habitation on any given ecosystem. So that's like one of the biggest goals. The ultimate goal is for it to be completely self-sustainable, employing all or most of its own available resources for comfortable life. Power, climate control, food production, air and water conservation and purification, sewage mm -hmm. treatment, you name it. So we're not talking about just like, you know, hunkering down in some caves. It's, you know, it's, it's just as important that there's a comfortable life. Yeah. 
So our, and our ecology is designed to make it possible to supply those items for a large population. And an ecology would supply and maintain its own municipal or urban infrastructures in order to operate and connect with other urban environments apart from its own. Okay. So ecology was proposed to reduce human impact on natural resources, like we said, and designs might apply conventional building and civil engineering techniques and very large but practical projects in order to achieve uh, pedestrian economies of scale that have proven uh, post-automobile to be difficult in, to achieve in other ways. Mm-hmm. Now, Frank Lloyd Wright proposed an early version called Broadacre City uh, through most of his life. In fact, he was still tweaking uh, the city uh, plans and models up to his death in 1959. Mm-hmm. Although, in contrast to arcology, his idea is comparatively, like, two-dimensional and depends on road work. Uh, Wright's plan described transportation, agriculture, and commerce systems that would support the economy. Critics said that Wright's solution failed to account for population growth and assumed a more rigid democracy than the U.S. actually has. It hmm. was uh, both a planning statement and a sociopolitical scheme. He pretty much inspired by uh, Henry George, um, which whose theory was uh, each U.S. family would be given an acre plot of land from the federal lands reserves, and Wright conceived a community that was built from these one-acre plots. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, it was the exact opposite of transit-orientated development. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a train station and a few office and apartment buildings in Broadacre City, but the apartment dwellers are expected to be, like, a small minority and... All important transit is done by automobile and the pedestrian can um, pretty much only like function safely within the one- confines of the one acre plots where most of the population is. Um, mm. So beyond that, they would need, you know, vehicle. Soleri described ways of compacting city structures in three dimensions to combat the two dimensional urban sprawl. So his was three dimensional view versus Frank Lloyd Wright's like two-dimensional um to uh, economize on transportation other energy uses like right salary proposed changes in transportation agriculture and commerce he explored reductions in resource consumption duplication and ran land reclamation and he also proposed to eliminate most private transportation he advocated for greater frugality and favored greater use of shared social resources, including public transit, public libraries, things like that, mm-hmm. um, which, yay, public libraries. Uh, so Indeed. In, in 1970, ground was broken on Arcosanti. According to the Arcosanti website, from blending the Italian words cosa and anti, Meaning against things, Soleri named both his architectural design studio and the nonprofit foundation he founded, Cosanti, as a deliberate critique of the rampant culture of consumerism he saw taking hold in the world. Cosanti, whether as a place of imaginative, provocative architectural experiments or foundation exploring a built world in balance with the environment, both embody a radically different perspective and aesthetic. Basically, the goal of Arcosante was to put to test all of Soleri's theories. Uh, Over the subsequent decades, workshop volunteers, 
known as Arcosanti alumni, began to actually build the iconic architecture of Arcosanti that we know today. Mm-hmm. The original design of Arcosanti is described in Arcology, the City and the Image of Man. Uh, Slurry's magnum opus on Arcology called for a place where thousands of people would live and work. I believe 5,000 was the original goal. Uh, Arcosanti never uh, has never been occupied by more than like a hundred people at a time. Uh, despite that, and by occupied, I mean like living there. Um, right. Despite that, it continues to be regarded as an early example of sustainable architecture and vertically dense building that prioritized like life work balance and the surrounding natural environment over an urban sprawl. Mm-hmm. Dubbed the Urban Laboratory in 1970s by famed New York Times architecture critic Ada Louise Huxtable, Arcasante continues to experiment and test its own potential as a working alternative to urban sprawl, erosion of communities, and the neglect of environment while supporting its residents to lead lives that are rich socially, energetically, and economically. There's 13 major, major structures that have been built on the site, um, some several stories tall. One master plan designed in 2001 envisioned a massive complex called Arcosante 5000, which really made me laugh because it just sounds like something out of like Looney Tunes uh, that would dwarf all the current buildings. So many features are particular to the design and construction of Arcosante. Uh, For example, tilt up concrete panels are cast in beds of silt that has been acquired from the surrounding areas giving the concrete a unique texture and color that helps it blend with the landscape. Um, At the same time, many panels are cast with, like, embedded art. Uh, Most buildings Hmm. are orientated southward to capture the sun's light and heat. Roof designs admit the maximal amount of sunlight in winter and minimal amount during summer. The structures are built to shelter bronze casting. uh, Is built in the form of an apse which is basically like an open quarter sphere. So if you take a sphere and you cut it into quarters um, and then you you have the inside like open, which is weird to me, especially there's like the ceramics is an apse too, like the ceramics building. I'm like, how does dust not get in there and mess with stuff? But the layout of all these buildings is pretty intricate and organic. Um, I included a top view of the amphitheater uh, in the graphics folder. Um, It's just phenomenal. Um, and gorgeous. Uh, so they're intricate and organic ba- rather than like, you know, most U.S. cities are very grid typical. Mm-hmm. Um, but here again, the goal is to maximize this accessibility to all elements and a combination of increased social, social interaction and bonds together with privacy for the residents. So it is absolutely still open for visiting and staying. And I f- feel it important to note, though, that not all of the grounds are wheelchair accessible. So Mm -hmm. accessibility is, um, there's obviously things that he did not take into account um, in terms of, you know, accessibility and then how you would handle like an aging population. Um, But uh, I do think it's amazing that due to the very intentional construction these buildings utilize the natural sun to the point where they only use a fifth of the energy that modern developments use. That's cool. And it's really cool because, I mean, they're not living in caves. The interiors of these buildings 
are very reminiscent of Frank Lloyd Wright and amazing. And, you know, some of them have air conditioners and there's modern technology and Wi-Fi. And it's not like there is that balance in there where, like, if you look at it from the outside, you'd be like, ooh, that's pretty primitive. But on the inside, not primitive. Um, existing structures at Arcasanti are meant to begin to provide for the complete needs of the community. Um, so until there's a five-story visitor center, cafe and gift shop. There's the broadcasting apps. There's a ceramic apps. There's two large barrel vaults, a ring of apartment residencies, a, um, with like somewhat public spaces around an amp, an outdoor amphitheater, a really cool community swimming pool, an office complex. Um, and above that is an apartment that was originally Solari's suite. It's a two bedroom, um, suite referred to as the sky suite and it occupies the highest point in the complex as well as a set of rooms below the pool um and it they're available for overnight guests like most of these buildings have accessible roofs as well i was surprised to find that the suite the which is the biggest of all of them um on airbnb is only 190 a night and there's an air conditioner in the bedroom like it's I think that's pretty reasonable given the um, the unique. I mean, you would have to go to Arizona, right? Um, I mean, <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I think, given the unique experience, the view, just everything involved, it seems pretty reasonable. Uh, I wonder how long it takes to get there from like the nearest hub of transportation. Ooh, um, that is a very, very good question, and I can. T- I can- Ooh, I want to say that I can tell you how far it is from Phoenix. Um, I think Phoenix. I think Phoenix is the closest of the major cities. Um, let me just. Uh, it's seventy miles north of Phoenix. It's at a high elevation, though. It's at an elevation of three thousand seven hundred and thirty-two feet. Hmm. Um. So that's, I mean, that's not super far from a big city, but. Uh, no, al- that's not too bad. Right. It also has a camp area that was built by and for the original construction crew, but it's cool. still used today as housing for approximately a fourth of the Arcasanti population. That actually might be a little bit different, uh, which I'll explain at the end. Uh, camp has a small greenhouse, which uh, with easy access to gardens. And large architectural fields, but um, as of like March of 2017, they've not, they're not cultivating those fields, which I don't know why. Um, Mm -hmm. There's also terraced greenhouses that are planned along the slope of the main building site for winter planting and garden space, and also to collect heat to distribute to the buildings. Uh, Arcasante was conceived of and remains primarily an educational center with students from around the world visiting to attend workshops, classes, uh, and to assist with the continuing construction because it's still a work in project, um, progress. 40,000 tourists visit, uh, annually. And there are guided tours available to the public. So is it, like, as it is now, is it supposed to be? be a residential area or has the um sort of idea pivoted more towards tourism and sustaining the location that way i think 
that it still has the goal to be a self-sustaining city, mm-hmm. I am actually flabbergasted that there is not more investment being put into this um, for yeah. a variety of reasons. Um, so, but right now, um, again, m- some of the funding comes from the sales of the bells that I mentioned earlier that are cast from clay and bronze. The rest of the funding comes from donations and then fees for the workshops. Um, and a lot of the, because of, because of the way that it's set up with that educational component, a lot of the present construction that's being done at Arcasante is being done by workshop participants and then volunteers. Gotcha. Um, I do feel it's also important to note uh, that the average salary for Arcasante, um, for much of it hi- its history, has been barely above minimum wage. Um, which has been barely above. Yeah, which is not ideal. Um, no. So, starting in 1970, so here's like the structure of it. Uh, participants have come to help build Arcasante by enrolling in these workshops. So then the tradition, there were traditional five or six week workshops where they attended lectures about Paolo and the principles of arcology and design while gaining hands-on learning experience while aiding in the construction. So although the program attracts many who are interested in arts, crafts, architecture, and urban planning, it -hmm. also actually benefits people that are interested in philosophy, sociology, science, and agriculture. Uh, today, the workshops are much shorter in duration, like one week at a time or less, and they focus on learning, including experiential learning. So um, a lot of them are like glass blowing, silk casting, photography, and other hands-on activities for the workshops. I would absolutely love to do an art workshop there. And much yeah. of the town actually delights me. And I would think that given our the issues that we face with the climate and our population growth, that this would be a much bigger focus for us to, like, direct some resources to. Mm-hmm. According to architect and Arcasante co-president Jeff Stein, if we can devise some way to populate the desert economically, ecologically, and socially, it's going to have value for a third of humanity right away. And that's the goal. That's why it's in Arizona. That's like true. That, the goal of it is to take the, take the desert land and turn it into a livable town. I mean, we have so much desert in our country. Again, like that, I just, it it strikes me as an opportunity for people to learn skill sets, to learn, I mean, you can learn almost anything that has to do with public planning and, I mean, so many things in an environment like that. Um, it, I just, I, it, it kind of baffles me, you know, that mm-hmm. it's not... Um, more well known and and more more resources being directed to it because I would love to see this actually come to fruition because it it does have that balance in there where you see these people that have like taken a break from like the tech industry to like go out there and figure out things and there's a couple right. videos that I've attached one guy's like flying his freaking drone over the land uh and it's you know it's it has such potential like uh, out of out of many utopians. <laughs> I see it as having potential and being, like, not cult-like or creepy. <laughs> I bet that probably one of the main um, prohibitive factors as far as it growing is 
probably that the internet isn't fast enough for like tech people right would often be like the people who would move out to these ridiculous places um i imagine and i'm just going off of the fact that it wasn't until very recently like the last couple of years that we could get internet fast enough to move to where we live now yeah um just work-wise and that makes sense so i don't know i'm just guessing no i mean that's that's a i mean and it would make sense that that would not be something that paula would have necessarily factored in certainly not when it was originally conceived um yeah although since it's in the desert i wonder if there's less atmospheric interference for like satellite internet and stuff like that i mean i don't i still don't think it would be fast enough but there's potential there there is potential and i mean if it's at least reasonably close to phoenix you could like google could lay fiber yeah or something like that so that that's really interesting. I can't believe I haven't ever heard of this place. Before. Right, same. Especially, yeah. It just so sadly, Paulo died April 9th, two thousand thirteen, at yeah. his home at the age of ninety three. According to his death announcement in the New York Times, the critic and author Alistair Gordon once likened Doctor Soleri to a desert Obi Wan Kenobi who spoke in elliptical bursts peppered with words like. Vegetivity, vectorality, and stardust. And, wow. and I truly wish that I could end our journey here, but that's not how we do things. And while oh. I would love to have hugged him, I also really want to punch him in the nads because fuck this guy. Uh-oh. In October 2010, Daniela Soleri, Paolo's daughter, resigned mm-hmm. from the Cosanti Foundation board, citing abuse by her father. She stated that some of Solari's inner circle had been told decades earlier, but nothing had been done about it at the time. After the resignation, Solari stepped down as chairman, but the board made no public statement on the reasons. On November 13th, 2017, Daniela posted an incredible article on Medium, which I have linked in the show notes, discussing her father's abuse. Dezine noted that Daniela approached the New York Times and other publications about the story and had been turned away. So she published it herself. In the Mm -hmm. article, she writes, I used to dream the same thing over and over. I am a child at home and there in our living room is my father, Paolo Soleri, in a large cage, fuming. We, my mother and sisters and I, quietly hand paper, pencils, crayons, and charcoal to him through the bars, or we hand in clay or styrofoam in a wood-burning tool, or large flat trays of moist, densely packed silt with knights to carve it, powders and washes to color it. He draws, forms, carves, shoving the beautiful results back out angrily, yelling in his fury. It was a clumsily literal dream that started in my early adolescence when my father, an architect and craftsman, began sexually molesting me, eventually attempting rape when I was 17. It was a child's solution to the problem posed by a man who I and everyone around me saw as the center of the universe. She goes on to say, I found... Finally told some of Solari's inner circle about my experiences about 24 years ago. 
Others learned of them six years ago when I tendered my letter of resignation from the board of Solari's Consanti Foundation with an explanation of why. In response to receiving my letter, one of my father's long-term colleagues and board member wrote, I am disappointed in everyone. A strange reaction from a man I had known since I was seven. Two years later, he presided at a memorial seminar eulogizing Solari and his work. His message seemed to be that, yes, he's disappointed that those things occurred, but he's equally disappointed that they are being brought up instead of being silenced. What? The Cassanti Foundation Board released an official statement in response to Daniela Solari's article. We are saddened by Daniela Solari's trauma. Her decision to speak out about her father's behavior toward her helps us confront Paolo Solari's flaws and compels us to reconsider his legacy. With Paolo Solari's creative intelligence, he understood the need for discipline and limits to the urban form. However, his narcissism prevented him from understanding the need for discipline and limits on abusive behavior. We support and stand firmly with Daniela. We know that Arcasante and Cosante are much greater than the ideas of one man. Over the past 50 years, more than 8,000 participants from all over the world have contributed to Arcasante and Cosante through our workshops and programs. Our work in urban planning will continue. It was considered radically fi- radical 50 years ago and has proven itself relevant today. Our goal is a built environment inspired by Solari's architecture that fosters community, integrates the natural world, and nurtures the best of human nature. As for the fate, the future fate of Cosanti and Acrosanti, a full circle moment happened in 2020. Frank Lloyd Wright's School of Architecture at Taliesin uh, changed its name to the School of Architecture and moved its campuses to the Cassanti and Arcasanti sites. School mm. Dean Crit Slash told Dizine, the Cassanti residents and studios will serve as the main campus, while the experimental town Arcasanti will be an additional site. First reported by the Architects newspaper, the news came as the school severed ties with the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation after the two failed to come to a financial agreement. The split means the school, which Wright established in 1932, needed to leave the buildings that are owned by the foundation and find a new name. The School of Architecture seems to be thriving in its new campus and offers a three-year immersive Masters of Architecture program designed for students who thrive in a multifaceted environment focusing on rigorous design, critical thinking, and hands-on learning. So, Hmm. right, (laughs) I was like, damn it. Because I was like, this is amazing. I want to hug his cute little old. And then I got, and then I, in my research, and it's sad to me that I had to like dig a bit to find it. But when I found it, I was like, oh shit. Yeah. So, wow. And it, and again, I highly encourage people to read her article. I mean, like that's as trigger warning as it gets. I mean, she doesn't go into details and she does, it was it was pretty much at the height of the Me Too movement that it got written. Mm-hmm. And she goes into how we um, give passes to who we deem important men um, and don't hold them accountable because we're somehow in fear that invalidates the things that they've done. Um, and then how we, you know, how we try to separate the man from the artwork. And, and she says, and I say man because it's most statistically... It's, it's men. Yes. <laughs> Even old white Italian men. So that is Arcosante. And uh, yeah, you can visit it. I encourage you to 
take a peek at the website just for the gallery alone because the buildings are amazing. Like, there's so much about it that I think is so well done. And the fact that the fact that, that the Frank Lloyd Wright School of Architecture now has pretty much, I would say, control over the things that are going on there and everything, like, it, it, it feels good to me to be able to still have faith in it as a yep. community because it's not just tied to him. And not like Frank was the world's most perfect person either, but I've always had a fondness for Frank Lloyd Wright. Mm-hmm. And that goes beyond just, you know, the Wisconsin connection. I've always loved him as an architect and... um. And stuff, so. So, yeah. What you got for me? <laughs> well. <laughs> I have another um, failed utopia with problematic people. Nice. Yeah. So, I'm going to tell you about this little place called Celebration, Florida. Woo! Celebrate. Yeah. And... I'm fairly certain that most people who were kids in the 90s, the 1990s, do I need to say that? Hmm. Uh, Anyway. um, (laughs) In the 1900s. In the 1900s. um, And had any sort of like Disney related inclination, you probably wanted to move to Celebration, Florida. Like immediately. Um celebration itself is basically um a fantasy town and it's set in sort of a timeless time apart from its surrounding area um i mean basically it's pretend 1950s america yeah but um it's physically located in Osceola, Florida, which is just south of Orlando. And so Celebration was a town that was built by Disney and conceived of by Disney. Um, And it went all right for a little while. (laughs) For like a minute, it was good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> so celebration is what's called a master planned community, and like I'm sure that people, when you think of like planned communities, you think of subdivisions and like um, housing for retired people, things like that. Mm-hmm. But this was a step above that. Um, it was like, planned down to every detail. And it sort of reminds me of like company towns. Yes. From like the industrialization of the US. And it's planned in sort of that way where everything is where it is on purpose and everything is specifically designed to allow the people who live there to exist within that area (laughs) and only within that area and to give the company back their paycheck basically (laughs) 
Yep, except that um, this was Disney, mm-hmm. and there is a literal road in Celebration, Florida, that connects it to the Magic Kingdom. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's it's quite something. I just picture a bunch of rich people driving their golf carts over there. And yeah, it, it is kind of like that. Celebration Florida started out as sort of a fancy, dreamy place. I believe the first round of housing opened in 1996. And at that point, everything was picture perfect. So if you've ever been been to Disney World specifically like especially in like on the main street area everything is quaint everything is perfect all of the details are exactly as they should be there is no garbage nothing is dirty everything is visually perfect and I happen to have historically really liked that because I found it to be very soothing to my neurodivergent self. I can see that. Yeah, like it, I didn't have to worry about a lot of the things that I had to worry about in other places. So I can see how you might look at someplace like Celebration and be like, oh, okay. These are the rules. Everything is how it's supposed to be. And I can autopilot. And I mean, I kind of get that. It's not dissimilar from like rules of society in, you know, Regency era England or whatever. Like there were the things that you did and everything lined up with all of these expectations. Yes. So, an article in the Daily Beast set the scene really well, (laughs) and I will link to this and many, many other articles in the show notes, but it says, quote, The highly municipal-coded hamlet, built in 1995 to look like 1955, was billed as an antidote to the chain-ridden sprawl of suburban America. In celebration, there were no fast casual franchises, no hulking commercial trucks, no visual reminders of poverty. Every lawn was cut to code. Every fence was freshly painted. The local school was basically Summerhill. Um, and if you don't know what Summerhill is, it's a very... Uh, it, it's a school, like a boarding school in England, and it's well known for being extremely individualized in its education. Okay. Um, with all of the problems that might come along with that. Um, so uh, every fence was freshly painted. The local school was basically Summerhill. Litter had a lifespan of 15 seconds. Um, Buildings from the post office to the movie theater were designed by the 1980s best architects. Basically what that meant 
is uh, for the actual people who were living there was they were being overseen by the mother of all HOAs. I mean, there was a real HOA, but also that wasn't really the thing that was overseeing them. I mean, the thing was Disney. Right. Until um, Disney largely sold most of its shares, which would then cause a cascading... It sounds like living on a movie set. It is. I think it's very much like very Truman Show esque. Yes, like all of the lawns were cut to a specific length. It wasn't just that they were freshly cut; it was that they were all exactly the same. And there were uh, several designs of houses that you could pick out. But they were all the same. Like, there were specific choices that you could make, but they were on a straightforward menu. And I say all of this knowing full well that I personally like limitations because unlimited possibility stresses me out. Right. There's a there's a paralysis in too many choices. Yeah. And so I I can see there is a world in which I am extremely comfortable in this place. (laughs) Um, I unfortunately tend to learn the rules and then um, break them in (laughs) technicalities. (laughs) But mm, yes, whatever. So much. So much. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So the problem is the town didn't stay perfect. So there is a woman who was interviewed for this Daily Beast article, which frankly is just the best article that I found on (laughs) Celebration because it's... Well, it's a first-person story, but with the actual facts checked. So it's um, it's really very good. And the person that they interviewed for this article's name is Cookie Kelly. Not even kidding. Oh, my God. That's perfect. Yep. Um, who is described as <clears throat> five feet tall with heels on. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, like, she was super excited to live in celebration. She was one of the early adopters. Like, it was it was exactly what she wanted to do. And, I mean, we all know Disney adults. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't happen to be one, but I know a lot of them. Yep. And, like, I, I get that. I also have the nostalgia of remembering going to Disney World with my mom when I was a kid and having it be a big deal because it was just us and how everything felt a little bit magical. Like, I absolutely remember that. And, like, Disney does a good job making things look shiny. Yeah. And so I think at first... 
it did live up to its ideal, um, especially when Disney was still basically in charge of everything. Um, there were new homes being built, obviously, to very specific specifications. The downtown was thriving. Um, it was walkable, and everything is built around like neighborhoods that are all connected to each other by one road that I think is called Celebration Boulevard. <laughs> and every neighborhood has its own uh, sort of outdoor attraction. So like a lake or a park or, you know, something that would allow you to interact with neighbors, go outside, get some exercise. And then they, all of those neighborhoods are around basically the downtown area of celebration. And everything is like, unlike Frank Lloyd Wright's thoughts on how, um, a community that is specifically intentionally built should exist. This was built specifically with the idea of uh, pedestrians and walking and having a compact downtown area and not having the sprawl that sometimes exists in highly sought after residential areas mm. like it was specifically designed to not do that and it was also specifically designed to be an exclusive community and i mean there are like 37 different problems with that right but there are also there are good intentions that go very wrong often mm. in that sort of thing. So I've always had an issue with the whole theory of a homeowners association. Oh my God. Like if I own my shit, that was a deal breaker for me. And especially like, or, or even like people who have like condo associates, like if I own it, yeah. back the fuck off. If I want a red door on my house, I'm getting a red door. Like, <laughs> you know, like I just, I don't understand that. I, I don't, I, nope. Yeah, it's, well, I feel that way too, which is why I never considered it anywhere with an HOA, because I am fairly certain that I would either take it over, <laughs> or I would self-destruct from rage. All right, so... The weird thing about celebration, specifically like condos that are in celebration, mm -hmm. is that the residents themselves own only what's inside the condos, not the outside. So, like, so they rent? if their roof leaked, they couldn't do anything about it. Okay. That had to be taken care of through 
I mean, basically the HOA. And that largely didn't happen. And it largely didn't happen after Disney basically uh, sold most of its stake in Celebration to a an outside property management company in 2004. Mm. And after that, the cracks started to show, both figuratively and literally. Like, when I talk about this place being, like, eerie and planned and Stepfordy, mm-hmm. I'm talking, like, down to the fonts on every street sign and storefront and park trail marker and fountain and manhole covers like all of that stuff came special order from a design firm called and i shit you not pentagram (laughs) (laughs) that's funny although i i totally yeah i mean i would expect nothing less than that um even just with my experience with like uh bids and you know business districts and how you know having them just that the outward facades have some kind of um uniformity so i can imagine that there'd be like an approved font for street signs and yeah and there's nothing wrong with any of those things on an individual level right there's nothing wrong like i mean i think probably every town has and this is of course coming from having spent 20 years in New York City. Mm -hmm. Like, all of those fonts are standardized. Like, all of the signs are standardized. Like, none of that is weird. Right. And all of them say, the property of the city of New York on the bottom. And sometimes they have the mayor's name. And, like, it just, they all look the same. And most at least on the highway system most things look the same so i i mean none of this is weird it's just a problem when it all gets together and becomes overwhelming and then nothing can get done yeah and um so cookie kelly wrote a blog called um rescuing celebration disney's ideal town is falling down And this is, like, that is the entire theme of the blog. Not a blog post. Like, this is the the entire blog. Oh, cookie. Yeah. I'm going to read those blog posts. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I have linked to the blog. It is, like, if ever you wanted some serious small town gossip, excuse me, um, like, this is the tea like with scanned copies of documents and handwritten notations yes like i would expect nothing less from cookie (laughs) yeah and um like specifically calling out the specific companies that are the problem and how much money is being wasted and how much like how long 
people's roofs have been leaking and the fact that sometimes stairs become unusable and have to be blocked off um that some homes have been deemed like immediate dangers for collapse and nothing has been done about it like that would freak me out it certainly freaked cookie out right but the actual property management that was supposed to be beholden to the celebration homeowners HOA uh, simply didn't um, and the company is Lexon Capital and they're a for-profit a for-profit private equity firm and they are basically what they bought from Disney was the rights to the town center and didn't really give a shit about the um, villages, which are the neighborhoods surrounding said. Oh, yeah. I just looked up a picture of Cookie. (laughs) Yeah. And so here is um, a quote from Cookie's blog. The looming towers of the Caesar Pelly designed AMC theater glow warmly in the night sky, keeping up illusion that all is well in town center, despite 10 plus years of darkened screens and empty lobbies. Lexan has been content to collect significant income from AMC, all the while either never actively considering qualified replacements or perhaps unable to secure a tenant which might satisfy the stringent underwriting requirements of a lender. Um, Oh, cookie. Yeah. Um, Should Lexan need to refinance their significant town center debt in, say, for example, the next year, back of a very big envelope... (laughs) My all in estimation of annual cost to the commandeer or to commandeer this architecturally significant white elephant add up to five hundred thousand dollars to start. Change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically this investment firm bought this perfect town from Disney, except for the problem is Though all of these things were designed by, like, top architects and look beautiful, they were all constructed in haste Mm -hmm. and with relatively cheap labor. And there was, like, the craftsmanship simply wasn't quality. Yeah. And so it doesn't matter that the designs themselves were probably fine, the execution really wasn't. Yeah. And so you have all of these things that look very pretty from the outside that are literally, not figuratively, literally falling down on the inside. Oof. And it's going to yeah. be because it was all, because of all the same 
labor and materials being used, it's just going to be a fucking ripple effect where it's all going to go at the same time because, you know, it's it's all underneath the same workmanship and materials. <laughs> so, like, if one goes because of that, the rest of them are going to go, too. Yeah, I, and it isn't cheap to live in celebration, and it sure as hell isn't cheap to be part of the HOA in celebration, which, in theory, like, my understanding of HOAs is that members pay money so that this larger association can negotiate contracts like plowing Mm -hmm. or trash pickup in areas where that isn't a municipal thing. Um, Right. And, like, maintenance and yard work. Like, things like that. And I know that they don't all do that. No, but yeah. But... The higher end ones. Right. Do. Or if the, you know, aprons need repaving, is that a city versus personal thing and how far it sticks out and yeah, there's all kinds of all kinds of crap that's involved with that. Yep. Um in this blog post, which by the way is March twenty sixth of twenty twenty. Oh wow. So like this isn't a long time ago. Um uh Our pal Cookie says that the average town center resident will have paid $15,000 in assessments this year. Oof. Where's it going? That, therein lies the question. That that is... And Cookie's a real estate agent, so Cookie should know her shit. Yeah, uh, yeah, for context to people listening, Cookie started out as um a friend of a character because she is five feet tall in heels and then started flipping houses in celebration and later became involved in actual real estate not just purchasing houses and then selling them she became also a real estate agent she is adorable yeah and so, uh, I want to be friends with Cookie, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I certainly don't want to get on Cookie's back No. Uh-uh. Yep. But, like. She's a tough holy cookie. Holy shit. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. I, I highly recommend that people read um, if you move Cookie Kelly's blog, if you move in the neighborhood, she's the house you deliver freshly baked cookies to, and go, "Hi, I'm new." <laughs> Fuck yes, it is. You're like, hello, I, mm, I would like to speak to who's in charge. <laughs> Cookie, Cookie is in charge. All right, so, well, all of this bullshit is going on. The first murder in celebration. Ooh, murder. Happens. So uh, the first murder was Thanksgiving weekend of 2010. And, I mean, frankly, that's a pretty good run mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of 
towns, like having a murder in 2010 when the town has only existed since 1995, 96. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, that was a good run. Yep. But unfortunately, the person murdered seems to have been and i'm going to say seems to have been because i haven't been able to find current updates and so last i saw all of this was still within legal processing ah okay but it seems as though um a man named Matteo patrick Giovan Ditto, which is that's impressive. A really delightful name right. for someone who is accused of uh, some real questionable beh- questionable behavior with students. Oh no! Yeah, um, he was a teacher, and a Disney adult. And uh, he worked counseling troubled youth. (sighs) Yeah. And there was some some stuff that uh, honestly at that time might not have been so weird. And I say this as someone who like used to travel with my professors and like my German professor who is family Mm -hmm. um like we absolutely shared a room on our first trip to munich together and i mean it was also somewhat different because she was a woman and there weren't the dynamics that there could have been but it wasn't super weird for teachers to be along on trips and to be the ones in charge. Like my swim coach Chaperones. used to I travel mean... with us to like state competitions and we would stay in a hotel room and there wouldn't be parents. Right. And, and it's yeah. I mean he would stay in a different room. Right. But like um, we would absolutely all get together and play well euchre because <laughs> yes. Um but like, and nothing was sketchy about that. Right. Uh, and youngest like, I am, went to state for FCCLA, and the teacher went with, and yeah, yeah. it's not. Like I, I am still good friends with that, um, with my swim coach, and like, nothing inappropriate ever happened. Right. So this is a very normal thing, at least in the past. I don't know how normal it is now because I don't have children. It seems um, to still be pretty normal. I mean. Yeah. So this retired teacher, uh, Giovanni Ditto, apparently, like, for uh, top performing students, would take them on, like, weekend trips to Disney World because they were right there. Right. And, like, not as weird as, say, my teacher from michigan doing that that would be weird yeah. <laughs> um although i did go to spain and north africa <laughs> with teachers hmm. um but anyway so he would do that um there were you know outings to the everglades 
he held a sleepover at his house, like, as a big party. Okay. Um, I mean, that... Which sounds sketchy to me, but would it sound sketchy to me if it were a woman teacher that I knew? Maybe not. So, I mean, I can see how if you've got a trusted member of the community who has been beloved and has served that community for a very long time with no obvious issues. Yeah. I can see how you might not see the red flags because we can all think of people who are like, oh, like, that's weird when I say it out loud, but it's just this person. Right. And it's fine. And it most of the time is fine. It was not fine with Giovanni Ditto. And he was found... uh, Hold that thought. I have scrolled away from (laughs) the description. So basically, he was killed by a man who, at the time that this article was written, was still awaiting trial. So allegedly killed by a man who was supposed to be washing his car. He gave the guy a beer just to be friendly apparently and the down on his luck guy took the beer fell asleep woke up with uh, the former teacher allegedly trying to sexually assault him and he thought that he had been drugged in the beer because he was drowsy Mm -hmm. and he became enraged because, of course, you would. You're right. Like if I mean, that's a, it's a logical response. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said that he discovered an axe in the closet, which he used to bludgeon Giovanni three times before strangling with, uh, strangling him with a shoelace to ensure that he was dead. Oh, okay. So he just went for it. <laughs> Cage. All right. Yeah, that's that's... Yeah. And so it would seem, at least from what I've read, that this teacher or this person isn't the only one to then come forward about problematic mm. happenings with Mr. Giovanni Ditto. I don't know how this particular homicide turned out. And I also don't feel like if the person who killed him was experiencing the thing that he says he was experiencing, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I need to say his name a bunch of times. Yeah, no, I get it. Yep. So that was the the first murder. Oh, the first. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. And so then things were pretty chill mm-hmm. in celebration until more murder. Uh, until Anthony 
tote, which is kind of funny because tote is um, death in German. <laughs> um, it's spelled differently. This is T-O-D-T, but yeah. pronounced the same. Um, was convicted of killing his wife, three <gasps> children, and their family dog in their celebration Florida home. Oh, no. This... Not the um, babies and the puppies. Yeah. This conviction mm. happened this year. Wow. Uh, he was found guilty and received four life sentences and does not, I believe, have the possibility of parole. I would think the fuck not. Yep. Um, he spent multiple weeks living with the corpses of his wife and children <gasps> and dog after killing them. Oh, oh, yep. <laughs> that's and is guilty of four counts of first degree murder and one count of animal cruelty. Uh, the circuit judge Keith A. Karsten, who handed down the consecutive life sentences, so uh, bye bye, yeah, um, without the possibility of parole called Tote a, quote, destroyer of worlds, and that not one of those lives taken was less valuable than the other. So, whew. Um, wow. And I thought maybe this was a pandemic thing. Yeah. Because, you know, people... Snap. Yeah. Snap during the pandemic. Um, not that that's fine, but no, it No, I mean... It's but not fine, but it, you can kind of under you can at least understand a possible motive, I guess. So. Yeah, but no, the uh, the murders came to light on January thirteenth, twenty twenty. Wow. So, uh, that's so fucked up. Like, I none of that is good. I mean, yep. And apparently, this uh, the FBI discovered the murders while serving him a warrant for health care fraud charges because he was a physical therapist. Oh. And then there they found the bodies. Good God. While serving a warrant for health care fraud. Yeah. Uh, that was not so the day they were expecting. No, no. And so, of course, the murderer had many different stories, and some of them were specifically built around doomsday religion. Ugh. Yeah. And saying that the kids wanted to die, or blaming it on the wife, or I was just doing it because apocalypse, or, you know many many other things um apparently tote is quoted as saying everybody needed to die in order to pass over to the other side together why didn't you kill yourself then in his confession tote claimed that he and his wife talked to the children about dying and said that the kids told them quote we want to die with you they're babies. No, they didn't. 
The youngest child was four. <gasps> oh, babies! Yeah. Uh, fucker. I hope he has a real rough roommate. Yeah. Quote, I needed to save her soul. I wanted her to be with us. Once again, if if that's the case, then why didn't you fucking kill yourself too? Like, I, you can't be like, we wanted to all be together, but you're not gone. Uh, yeah, it's... It's a big problem. Apparently, the children were killed before Christmas. Oh, God. So he had been living with their bodies for a while. Uh, I can't imagine that the HOA in Celebration Florida allows for that kind of smell. Right? Because it had to. I mean... So it's not winter. Right. That's what I was just going to say. I'm like, it's Florida. So you're not, it's not like there's people who have fireplaces going to cover. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I mean, there were financial liens on the house. He was deeply in debt. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know why he did not also die. But I'm guessing he was a fucking coward, you know? That is what I'm guessing, too. Uh, he continued to claim that he wanted to be with them, but... Yet here you are, motherfucker. I don't... Yeah. I don't... Anyway, so... While I was reading through the Cookie Kelly blog, <laughs> that the two murders came up, and I felt like that needed to be yeah. uh, highlighted in opposition to, like, there is a celebrationtowncenter.com that is entirely devoted to making the downtown area look like it's still perfect. There are still, like, Celebration still exists. Celebration is still a town. Well, and that the most recent murder is could not be a more appropriate analogy for the pressure of perfection. You know, obviously, being so in debt and trying to live a life that apparently they couldn't afford, you know? Like, just zero justification or anything, but it just seems like dude got way in over his head didn't know what to do and I don't know if there was you know mental illness involved but there has to be some kind to be able to live with your dead to do that and then to live with yeah there's something not right going there but it seems almost appropriate analogy for the current state of the town right and I mean this sort of always happens with ideas of utopian places right um, many people believe that Celebration Florida was inspired by, um, Walt Disney's, um, Epcot Center, mm-hmm. basically. So if any, I don't know if Epcot still has all of those things that it did when I was younger. I kind of assume not, but, um... 
their uh, Epcot actually stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. And so it, it very well could be that Celebration was designed to be the embodiment of that. I think it probably was at least strongly influenced by that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally, apparently, the plan involved placing the entire city under a climate-controlled dome. Truman! <laughs> Truman Show! Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and limiting transportation options to maximize monorail usage. So that's fine. Like, the second part of that, totally normal. Um, yeah. So obviously, Disney, who died in the mid-60s, was not around to actually see this exist. But it was pretty clearly designed after his ideas. Um, The first residents of Celebration were actually chosen by lottery, um, where 1,200 people turned in deposits of $1,000 for a chance to own a home there. I am not sure if they got their money back if they didn't win. Right? I'm guessing not, but who knows. Um, Yeah, so less than a decade in, like I said, Disney sold the town to a private equity firm for $6.5 million, which seems really low. That does seem very low. But, yeah, I mean, also, it's probably a money suck in the biggest way. But, like, Celebration is so manufactured that, like, they have snow falling on Christmas. Oh, that would make me happy, though. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, me too. How delightful. Um so yeah it here's the thing you can't have a utopian society based on conformity it's not gonna work i mean no absolutely not but it is it's just one of those things where so many things could have gone right yeah but they just didn't and it was never going to be perfect in the way that, like, uh, areas like this that are so tightly controlled smack of a bit of polished fascism. Yeah. And I don't say that as, like, a political the specter of this thing what the fuck just flew over my head oh no (laughs) well i don't know but it's not there now um like that maybe it was the specter of fascism (laughs) 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 oh god but um but the tight control required and all of the rules and the structure of society like that just is how that works often and even if it's well intended it's still very tightly controlled daily life and so it's 
like celebration is beautiful and complicated and falling apart and sort of like um women who used lead on their faces <laughs> a little concerning underneath yeah um yeah so it's now that the town doesn't really have much of a disney connection but it still has sort of that uh that disney vibe about it it looks like it's pretty clear that that's where it came from Mm -hmm. um but none of the businesses are disney themed or named after characters um they're i mean it's pretty normal weirdly it's mostly condos or rented houses a lot of people are snowbirds um it's generally speaking kind of normal for being so uncanny valley um anyways there are there are a lot of good things and a lot of bad things about celebration and i think that some of the really good things are being so walkable and being built with community in mind mm-hmm. um but that being said some a place with rules that strict is a pressure cooker right and can be very dangerous because of that and so to wrap things up i took a look at the crime rates in celebration florida Mm -hmm. and the fbi does not collect as far as i could tell specific crime data for celebration itself but it seems as though and i'm getting this from bestplaces.net but there's it's about the same everywhere that i looked Mm -hmm. so they must be pulling from largely the same data Um, so crime is ranked on a scale of one, which is low crime to 100, which is high crime. Um, the violent crime rate in celebration is 18.3 and the U S average is 22.7. Okay. So pretty reasonably low celebration property crime is 34.1 34.1 and the average in the u.s is 35.4 so a little lower than average like whatever that's fine um let's see where did it go oh god yep so celebration isn't like a super safe utopia but it's also very much not a dangerous location major crime rates are still extremely low although i would imagine like financial crime rates are probably pretty high this is just a guess nobody sue me (laughs) um so i got curious then 
about real estate in Celebration, Florida. Having just purchased a house myself and having some understanding of the current real estate market. So, you too can buy a house or a condo in Celebration, Florida. Ooh. Yep. Um, they're on the pricey side, but I also don't know that they are out of control pricey. Um, the real estate prices also are trending down, so I'm guessing that some people didn't manage to sell before the the thing happened all right the so thing. comparing a house there because there are a bunch of different sizes it's it's basically what you think of if you were putting together a a small town in your mind that is aesthetically perfect there are some cute little bungalows there are some nice gracious homes and there's everything in between but everything's pretty and organized so a house that is almost exactly the same size as mine um that has six bedrooms four bathrooms um 4596 square feet that it's a house that actually looks almost exactly like the house my brother and sister-in-law just bought oh um that is 1.5 million. Okay. Um, which for that area seems kind of kind of normal. There's a similar um, sort of mm, maybe mission style house um, that is about the same size and is also about 1.5 million. Um, then there are condos that have prices that seem like a wish. Okay. Um, like there's a condo for $749,000 for three bedroom, three and a half baths, and 3,000 square feet. Mm. Like, mm, no. Right. I don't, I don't think so. Um, then there's a cute little one bedroom, one bath for 310000 and, like, that's expensive, but it's not ridiculous yeah. given the area. Um, and so there are, like, generally speaking, the prices are falling, but there are some cute little places that may or may not uh, pass home inspection. And if you're going to get a place, give Cookie Kelly a call. Yeah. She'll hook you up. It's true. I mean, I don't know if she is still a real estate agent. Oh, she is. She's with Century she 21. She knows all the dirt. <laughs> I, yeah. Googled, I Googled while we was talking. She's with Century. This is her little photo on the <laughs> Century 21. Oh, hold on. Oh, I love her. Right? <laughs> yeah. She is. She looks like good trouble. Frick, exactly. She's freaking adorable. Yeah, so she may well be selling yeah. any of these. Who knows? Who knows? Um, I ain't buying it. Florida in general scares me. I have zero desire to go to Florida at all. Fucking men. Ah, I, for a brief moment, I wanted to go to the Dolly Museum, and then I was like, no, I'm fine. 
I'm fine. It is moist and just yeah. hot and no, that no offense to any Floridian listeners. Um, I don't do well with humidity, and uh, no, and I am also and, very I mean, pale. I've done Florida, <laughs> but mm, no. Yeah. My husband went to college in Florida. That seems like a bad idea. Yeah, I the closest I got was I was looking at there is a design circus school in in Atlanta, Georgia, that uh, that I looked at. But uh, yeah, I I'm very pale and I don't do well with humidity. So same. Just thinking it's not it's not for so me. So I guess we're not gonna get a swamp mansion. No, no, I don't foresee that happening. Um, I mean, if I'm going to have a swamp mansion, it better be in Louisiana. That's exactly what I was going to freaking say. Um, Then. Or Charleston. Yes. I mean. So, yeah. Which I don't think would be a swamp mansion, but. (laughs) You know, moss. It grows on trees. Yes. Uh, Anyway. So that is, that's Celebration Florida. It's kind of a mess, but a very uncanny valley organized mess. There you go. Uh, yep. Which, I do not want to be in charge there. No. Uh-uh. Uh, hmm. I wouldn't even want to be on that PTA. Mm-mm. Nope. Oh, God. <laughs> which I believe that brings us to... Oh, the weekly worst way, way to die. <laughs> wow, we really did come together at the end of that one. <laughs> Ooh, so what you got? What's, what's, your, what's your weekly worst way to die? Oh, I mean, Florida. <laughs> and mine is desert. <laughs> Just well, lost in the guess desert. guess we aren't going to any of those utopias. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Whatever, we tried. It's fine. We'll make our own. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> that slightly mm-hmm. culty note, do you want to be spooky internet friends? <laughs> yes. We're cult members, you know. We'll take either one. Uh, you can find us on all of the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of it, uh, at Bones and Bobbins, or just pop on by uh, bonesandbobbins.com. It's true. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast unless you don't like the beginning rambling and then just skip it this time yeah. because it's not listen, always long. Autism. Yeah. Um, it pleases the internet gremlins when you do rate and review and yes. that's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us. Bring forth the morbid souls. Yes. And let us know, rate us and let us know what utopian society you think you could live in. Like which, what would you be your utopian choice? Oh, God. Yes. That never goes well. <laughs> I would just oh, like man. to hear. Okay. Oh, on that note, let us leave you with some advice that you should never forget. Mm-hmm. Lock your doors. And don't run with scissors. Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, 
follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.